Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is senior staff writer for The Ringer, Mirren Fader, who wrote a fantastic feature last year on Alabama quarterback and very likely future Texan quarterback, Bryce Young. Great to have you, Mirren, and uh, happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays to you, too. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And I, I can't wait to talk about, to you about this because the first thing NFL evaluators bring up with Bryce is his size and the concern there. And usually the first NFL name they bring up as a comparison is Kyler Murray, which has all kinds of kismet because tell us who Bryce's quarterback coach in eighth grade got the first Bryce recruiting call from. Cliff Kingsbury and the the history of that story is fascinating. I mean, Bryce, as you said, has always been known as undersized. And that was a big issue as far as being, you know, recruited. And um, a lot of college coaches just didn't even look at him, didn't even think twice. And um, Bryce's quarterback coach, Danny Hernandez, um, got a call from Cliff and they looked at the film and he really liked him. And so that was kind of the first person to acknowledge that, you know, Bryce had potential and that he could be really good. Um, And it's crazy to think that it would be an uphill battle for Bryce over the next couple of years to rack in offers before they all started coming in. And obviously he would be um, super highly touted, but yeah, it was a struggle at first because of the size. Yeah. I love the quote that you had because uh, Kingsbury uh, calls up and says, how many offers does this kid have? And <laughs> his uh, quarterback coach, Danny Hernandez said, none, none coach. Hopefully you're the first, right? Right. Right. <laughs> He's like, listen, it could be you, you know, and um, yeah, it's, it's so funny how things work out like that. I mean, he clearly he was the only one to see the way the game was changing and the way that, you know, Bryce actually these things that other people saw as an impediment actually could be an advantage to him and, and a positive quality. As you started talking to different people around Bryce, what did you find out that made him so special? What's a, what's it about him that helps him overcome his size? He's a very smart person. He's a studier. He's an observer. The amount of film that he watches is insane, but it's not just passively watching. It's studying um, very actively and dissecting, almost scientific-like. He just doesn't have an ego. And I think because he doesn't have this ego, he thinks that there is so much to work on. And I think that allows him to improve and make leaps every single year. you know, I profiled a lot of elite athletes and the ones like Bryce who don't feel that they are special because they are a top athlete. Those are the ones that usually not only keep getting better, but end up sticking. And he and his dad, Bryce and his dad have this phrase, all of this is conditional. And I think it's that phrase of realizing that fame and attention and all this stuff is conditional. It could all go away. I feel like that mentality is what sets him apart from other people. So for those that don't know his story, he transfers from Cathedral High School to nationally renowned Modern Day High School from the sophomore to his junior year. What was so significant about him being the starting quarterback at Modern Day? Because people might not know much about Modern Day uh, from a national basis, and I'm sure Texans fans might not know this story, but what was significant about him being the starting quarterback at Modern Day? 
I mean, modern day is as competitive as it gets. And they were just the tops of the top JT Daniels and just a long line of people that, you know, came before him. But it's also a school that's 71 percent white. And so for him, he really stood out as a black quarterback. And I believe he was the first um, at that school. And um, his dad, Craig, said it best. There's kind of an unspoken pressure in that regard, um, but it's no different than any other black male in society. So it's it's not like it was anything different than he would experience if he wasn't a football player. Um, but there's a lot of pressure when you're the quarterback of that program to succeed. It, it is like a college program. Um, and, you know, for somebody that wasn't highly touted as he was coming in, you know, there was a lot of questions like, this is the guy that's going to be our starter. You know, look at his size, all the questions you hear. And he just sort of was like, nope, I believe in myself. Um, I know I can do this. And it's it's that self-confidence and poise, I think, is the best word to describe Bryce that just kept him going. So he commits to USC originally out of high school, out of modern day. And so we have this sliding door moment since Caleb is now holding the Heisman. <laughs> but remind people... <laughs> Which coach worked hard on him to go to Alabama uh, after he at first committed to USC? You know, it's been about a year and a half since I wrote this story. So I'm a little blanking in the moment right now. Oh, um, well, it, the guy was uh, at, at Houston. People will be interested in this. Steve Starkeesian, the current yes, coach yes, of the Longhorns. Yes. yes. So the, the connection. Yes. And um, very steadfast on him and just really believed in the potential. Um, I don't know. I think Bryce, Bryce had his obviously options anywhere he could go, but it was a key relationship and he felt like, you know, this could be the right choice. And, you know, ultimately, obviously he ended up at Alabama, but I think Bryce's recruitment is like a book on its own. I mean, there's so much that he and his parents went through as a, a top prospect and, sort of all the pressures that you face and keep in mind, this was before the NIL era. Um, So yeah, Bryce is really interesting. And I think he's come of age at this fascinating time where recruitment and everything is just completely different than what it was before. Yeah. That's funny. You mentioned that because I want to ask you about the NIL and just a quick reminder about, by the way, to anybody out there watching and listening, support the show by subscribing and commenting on YouTube and Bryce is one of the first college players to earn seven figures with NIL deals. Yes. How, how has he handled that? You know, remarkably well. I think that was the thing that stood out to me the most is that, you know, instead of uh, bragging about what he has or even wanting to discuss it at all, he was just like, I don't, this isn't something that I think about. I'm blessed. I'm grateful, but I'm going to spend a lot of the money on my teammates. He takes his teammates out to dinner through his various sponsorships, which I think is really cool. And um, he, he sort of sees it not just in terms of financial compensation, but as platform to tell his story. So podcasting for him isn't just like, oh, I'm going to join the trend. Everyone has a podcast. It's like, this is a direct way for me to tell my story without any intermediaries. So I think he's very business savvy. I think he has really smart people around him, his family, for sure. His dad is always, you know, facilitating and making sure that Bryce can focus on football while Craig handles the financial stuff. Um, And I think because of that sort of division of labor, Bryce never gets too big headed or doesn't, you know, become prey to some things you might worry about with a kid having that much money. He's just very focused, 
And I think it was refreshing. You know, when I was talking with Bryce, I thought I was talking with somebody like 10 years older. Um, he's just very wise and he's very mature and he doesn't really believe his own hype, if that makes sense. You know, yes, he's aware that he's really good. Yes, he has confidence in himself. Yes, he knows he's making a lot of money, but he's also thinking about his weaknesses. He's also thinking about that one loss. He's also thinking about what he's not doing well. And I think his focus on all these intangible things that we've been talking about is why he's able to handle so much money <laughs> and so many changes with such grace. Yeah, and you mentioned in the story, he weekly takes out his offensive line for a nice steak dinner mm -hmm. for, for the for the UIL money. You also write in the story about just how calm he is under pressure. Yeah. How does that manifest? What does his teammates and coaches have to say about that? He's so calm to the point, I mean, unrattled to the point where nothing really phases him. It's like he enters into a different dimension. And I know we can get really corny and cliche with sports, you know, metaphors about being in the zone, but Bryce really likens it to his first love, which is basketball. So Bryce actually wanted to play basketball before he wanted to play football. And a lot of um, his early coaches, including that quarterback, that coach we mentioned, Danny Hernandez, he and Bryce would always have a saying when Bryce was growing up saying, man, we're just hooping. And it's a way of saying like, you know what? We're just playing ball. No pressure. Nothing's going to get to us. We're just having a the time of our lives playing ball. And he says that to himself before every football game. Now we're just hooping. So I think for him, he's able to shrink the moment so much because he doesn't look at it like this big, crazy thing. He's just like, I'm just playing a game that I love. And I think it's his ability to sort of almost downplay the pressure uh, a bit allows him to be above it. I, I think of Bryce as, as somebody that looks down at the world from a bird's eye view. And I don't mean that in, you know, a philosophical sense. I just mean that there's a maturity and distance to him where he's so aware of perspective and putting things in their proper perspective that that automatically translates into calmness. And that's why you see he's just, he's so phenomenal because he's able to relax and make these decisions under tremendous pressure and, and have the mobility to do that in real time. When you're looking for a quarterback, you're always looking for the leadership that's unique. And one thing that struck me in your story was how he was always working the room during the film sessions at Alabama. Describe what you saw or what you heard about. Yeah, I mean, he he's very vocal. And I think sometimes it's hard for young players to be vocal. You know, you always hear, oh, so-and-so leads by example. But Bryce does both. He leads by example and he uses his voice. And he'll go around and say, oh, you could have done this. You could have done that. Go here, go there. And I think it's his attention to detail and the confidence that he has to literally stand up and go up to different people and sort of be very animated during these sessions Number one says a lot about the passion that he has, but number two, like I said, the maturity to be able to communicate that well, it, sometimes it can come off wrong, you know, when you try to communicate something to a teammate or you point out a weakness, but they know that he's the first one in the gym and they know that he studies his own weaknesses more than anyone else. And so they respect him so much. And I think that's why when he says something, everyone is listening. You know, he he commands the respect of everyone in the room. And you said he just was, would walk up along campus and yeah, and actually still like try to help people out as he was just walking random people or something like that. 
you know what? That was my favorite anecdote about reporting this story. Like he saw a young man that looked like he was having a bad day in high school and he just went up to him and was like, hey, keep your head up. It's going to be a good day. I mean, can you imagine like I, I don't know what would ever prompt me to talk with a stranger unless they were in serious, dire need of help. And Bryce, just this compassionate soul was just like offered a few kind words and kept it moving. And I thought that so much encapsulates his personality, right? You know, the confidence, but also just the empathy. Um, and that's what makes him such a good leader. And I think everyone I've talked to who's played with him, like they really like him as a person. They're friends with him. And I think it's it's because of those nurturing caring qualities that make him just a really good locker room guy yeah it's going to be a, a super interesting decision for the texans here because you can say well you need a quarterback and you got to take a quarterback and you know this football it's right above my head is from the original texan season and on it is all the players from the original texan season including david carr the quarterback that they drafted first which, you know, in hindsight, maybe they just shouldn't have drafted a quarterback because that guy wasn't there that particular draft. And so, I mean, you feel like, though, after talking to Bryce and, you know, just seeing how he relates with everybody that, I mean, mentally, he's going to be an, an NFL quarterback and, and just it's the matter of the physical and, and can he take it? But, you know, that he's lived with that his entire life, right? Yeah, look, I mean, of course, if this happens, it will be really challenging for sure. But his entire life has kind of been like that. And I think last year when this story came out, a lot of people were surprised to hear that he had gone through adversity or that he was at all doubted. In fact, a lot of people mocked it. They were like, no way. He, you know, people said he wasn't good enough. He's always been this. He's always been ranked. He's a and the truth is he just hasn't. And he was never really everyone's consensus top pick from the moment he started. He's always had to prove to people that he belonged and he's never lost sight of that. So personally, just from talking with his family, everyone that knows him, I know that no matter how challenging the situation, you're going to get somebody that's not going to give up and they're not going to feel entitled and they're not going to feel like they deserve better and instant success. I think he gets his true joy from the work. And so you're being put into a situation where there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But I actually think that's when he's at his happiest, when he's digging in and doing the dirty work. And um, I just think he has the right attitude. I, I love feature writing because you can get into those intangibles that make an athlete who they are individually. And, and Bryce is as dogged and um, passionate and enthusiastic as an athlete that I've ever spoken to. Do you ever hear from scouts that read your work and say, you helped me decide on a particular guy to draft or not draft? I hear from them during the process of scouting rather than after, which has been fascinating to me because they want to know about these things. They want to know about the work habits. They want to know about hypotheticals. You know, one scout, this was a, a basketball player, was just like, if he sits his first year, is he going to pout? Like they're asking me hypothetical questions based on all the time I've spent with them. And I actually think it's, it's an honor because you look at all sports and people that are drafted and the people that pan out and the people that don't, our biggest superstars were people that were under scouted and they didn't pass the quote eye test. 
but they had all the other things. They had the work ethic, passion, um, humility, family or oriented. And I think when scouts ask those questions, that tells me that a franchise is invested in more than the physical capabilities, which can be gone at any second. And those are the franchises that actually wind up getting with a player that sticks. So yeah, it's really cool when they ask me. Um, and that's why I think like, I wish that we had more reporting on both of the athleticism and the mental stuff because they go hand in hand. You don't have to convince Houston sports fans because they've been watching Jose Altuve for the last decade. <laughs> right. You, you know, there's a major similarity between Bryce and a current Houston athlete that you featured on the ringer back in February, Jabari Smith. And you wrote about Jabari that he was also very humble. There was a lot about your piece that made me fall in love with him long before he became a rocket. And you wrote that when he was a top five recruit, he'd actually thank the big name college coaches for coming to his workouts. And it was so genuine. It wasn't an act. It wasn't this thing to get attention because he wasn't really getting the attention. Um, and he would also just be so conscious of like passing to teammates so that they can get looks in front of these coaches. You know, it's little things like that consideration for others and just politeness that I, I think that's what made a lot of um, coaches and scouts fall in love with him. Yes. He has the physical potential Yes, he has the background from his father, but just that self-assuredness at that young age to say, hey, thank you so much for coming, like really left an impression on a lot of people. You wrote a New York Times bestselling biography about Giannis. And I mentioned that because Jabari's dad said in your feature that he thought Jabari's defensive potential was similar to Giannis's, which is very ironic because Jabari had his breakout defensive game, Niran, just a couple of weeks ago. Against Giannis, he held him to 16 points, which is Giannis's lowest point total this season. Wow. That's fascinating. Isn't that such a that okay? I when he told me that at first I I paused, you know, when somebody compares themselves to any kind of potential with Giannis, I'm like, I don't know, you know, that's very, very, very unique. But if you look at where Giannis was, and we've seen conversations like this when people are talking about Evan Mobley, there was a really nice feature that came out on ESPN recently about like the Giannis model and, and having Evan study him in the way that Giannis's body has changed. You look at Jabari and like, yeah, his body's going to change, but how quick he is and the, the anticipatory skills he has on defense, I think he has so much potential on defense and you saw it in that game that you mentioned. Um, and the other thing is that he wants to be a good defender. I think some, sometimes it comes down to that. It's right. It's willingness to compete and, and pride on the defensive end. And I, and I do think that Jabari has those internal qualities inside. You're the perfect person to ask this question. Do you see similarities between Giannis and Jabari and their work ethic? I definitely see similarities in the work ethic, just in this sense of like, you have to kick them out of the gym. Um, the pure love to be there, you know, childlike enjoyment. Um, you tell Jabari something that he needs to work on, he's going to be in there for like two days straight trying to figure it out. And that is so very Giannis. Um, the other thing is this idea that you're never a finished product. You will always work and work and never quite arrive. I think they both have that. And I think they both, are big dreamers. You know, Giannis wanted to be great. He didn't want to just be good. He didn't want to just make the league. He wanted to be great. Um, and I think Jabari wants to be great as well. But 
they're both so soft-spoken. They'll never say things like that out loud. But internally, there is this fire, I hate to be cliche, this fire burning that so wants to be better. And um, I think they have the perfect mix of humility and um, ambition. Jabari's work ethic and perfectionist quality was really epitomized in one of the stories that you told. And I don't know if you remember this, but he would go back and listen to interviews he was doing in junior high and high school. Do you remember that story? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. That I forgot about that one. That was one of my favorite anecdotes from talking with him. So I, I use the word perfectionist um, a lot because a lot of these guys really do want to be great, but how much is that just desire to be great at your sport and also a need to be perfect? Jabari is the need to be perfect. And when I saw that it was so much beyond the basketball court, that's when I realized that's just who he is internally as a person. And he would listen to his interviews that he did in high school with local reporters because he wanted to be perfect at them. He wanted to improve. He didn't want to have any interview where he stumbled his words or acted like he wasn't confident. And he would just go back in his room and replay them. And to me, I thought that was so thoughtful and I thought it was so endearing um, because he really cares. It's not an act in the sense of like, oh, he just wants to show people that he's polished. It's his own internal desire to put his best foot forward and be the best representation of himself. And you and I have both interviewed people that could care less about talking to us, but he really does care. Um, And I found that so endearing. He would hear the uhs and ums. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And he was mad at himself, you know, and who among us hasn't been there, but are we really going to go listen to this back after and try to improve? No, we're probably going to go about our day. Not him. He was like, I got to get better at this. I want to be a professional. And that's what I was just like, wow, this kid is different. This kid is, he's just light years ahead. Jabari's dad knew that he was criticized during his own career for being uncoachable. So he'd do certain things to get in his son's head to make sure he'd be more coachable, right? Yes. I was very surprised at how candid um, Jabari's dad was, and I really appreciated it because it takes a lot of self-awareness to say, I didn't act the best. I didn't handle myself like I wanted to, and I don't want my son to make the same mistakes. I think at that point in time when I profiled him, all he really knew was that, oh, his dad played in the NBA and he's following in his footsteps. But the narrative is actually so much more complicated. Jabari feels so invested in doing better than his dad did and, you know, not making the same mistakes. And he sort of sees himself as, you know, being a better representative and learning from not just his dad, but his brother who also played basketball. So I think that I really respect his dad for being honest and saying that, you know, what coachability matters as much as your quickness, as much as blocking shots, getting steals, scoring 20 points a game. And I think that he was really, really hard on his son, but it was because he wanted him to know that he will face these kinds of challenges and pressure and he he can't react in a negative way. Um, So I thought that Jabari had just the best preparation for the NBA. Yeah, it was interesting because in the article you said his older brother just didn't have that same quality that Jabari and wasn't connecting 
with his dad or wasn't maybe accepting it. And it seemed like Jabari just leaned in to everything that his dad was telling him and said, okay, this is what I got to do. I got to follow what he says because he knows what he's talking about. Right. And he knows, he knows what he's talking about and he knows what it's like to have regret, you know, and, and Jabari didn't want to have any regrets. Um, he doesn't want to feel how his dad feel, felt after his career was over. And I, I just thought that was so interesting. And so, um, like I said, Jabari's just very thoughtful. Um, he realizes that it's a business. And I think he had that epiphany far earlier than other athletes do. And I think it was learning through the pitfalls of his dad's career. Was he able to sort of have that reality check so much sooner? I'm sure you've done a lot of features on athletes and the father comes in and there's this fine line of being sort of the helicopter dad or the overbearing dad or being somebody that can really help your kid out by, you know, trying to sort of get him going on the right path, right? Absolutely. Like er, last year, I don't know, it was earlier this year, I profiled um, Peja Stoyakovich and his son, um, Andre, who uh, is committed to Stanford and Peja's, uh, mentality was like, I'm going to be on him hard, but I'm also going to keep a distance and let my son grow and make mistakes because he has to be his own man. And I've sort of seen a combination of that combination of, you know, Jabari's father's strategy, profile LaMelo Ball and LaVar Ball and, and sort of their strategy, which was different. And um, the thing that I've learned the most about these combinations is that although we know a lot about them, We'll never truly know the true dynamic between a father and son competitive at that level. Um, it's very complicated. There's a lot of big feelings involved. And we as reporters try to come close to it as possible. But at the end of the day, there's nobody that knows these athletes like their fathers do. And it might come out some ways that aren't as helpful. It might come out in ways that don't seem great, but they have this deep love for them. And I wish that uh, fans could see that it a lot of times it comes from a place of love. And that's why at the end of that Jabari feature, you saw his dad sort of realizing like, okay, my, my son is like a young man, I, I, I have to, I can give him my advice, but I've got to take a step back. And so all of these profiles, whether it's Bryce or Jabari, it's, it's kind of like, these young men are coming of age. And their fathers are realizing that and understanding that and respecting that. Well, you also did a Houston Rocket feature on a player that the father wasn't the story. The mother was mm. the story. And it's Jay Sean Tate. And Jay Sean Tate loses his mother in a murder when he was six years old. It's the story you've done three years ago. So I'm sure there's a lot that you have forgotten about. it. But the thing that sticks out when I read that story, the moment that really sticks out is Jay Sean told his mom not to go that time mm -hmm. when she went on this trip to Canada. And it's just, it's chilling to read that. You know, he said this little, was he six or eight at the time? I think he was six, if my memory is correct. So young. And just told her, don't go, mom. Like he he almost it felt like he had an intuition. Is that the impression that you got when you heard him telling the story? It was. I was really haunted by that moment, you know, Cody, I, I don't know. I don't know what I believe in as far as intuition, but I, I think clearly there was a knowingness and I don't know how he did, but um, that story was really important because a lot of times when you look back 
at somebody's life and you're writing a profile, how did this guy get to where he is today? You sort of look at these events like a constellation of events and you think, well, that was in the past. But for Jay Sean, it, it wasn't. And that moment of being six or however old he was, was very much present to the day. And don't go is something he just thought about for years to come. Um, it's so, I, I really can't imagine what it was like to walk in his shoes. And that's why I have such immense respect for him because if you look at his journey, the basketball alone, that adversity, that was really hard, really, really hard for him to make an NBA roster. But if you add all the personal elements to it, you can't even imagine. But then it sort of makes sense, right? This is a guy who never gave up on his NBA dream because look at all he has had to go through before this. And like Bryce Young, they kept telling him, he's too small, you're too small. When are they going to learn? Listen, <laughs> I... <laughs> And I'm not just biased because I'm five feet, okay? I really, I have profiled so many guys that don't pass the quote-unquote eye test. And I'll tell you, they learned so many other valuable personal skills from going through that, and it made them better people. I don't know. I think we overemphasize physicality and underemphasize mental aspects. The real way, if I could say so in my humble opinion as a non-scout, is to look at a prospect the total picture, it's all important. All of it matters. Yeah, when I played seventh grade basketball, the coach nicknamed me Smurf, and I'm going to a Jewish, <laughs> I'm going to a Jewish school. So when you're Smurf, you're at a Jewish school. You're, you're small. <laughs> That's great. Last thing, I, last thing, I, and I and I, you reminded me of this before we started. You also did a feature on a 16 year old Jalen Green. What do you remember about Jalen Green at 16 years old? Oh my gosh. It's so crazy to me to watch him now because he's like a real grown man, you know, but he was just a kid and he brought up things like the Fresno mall, you know, and getting mobbed at the mall. And if you've been to Fresno, you know, there's just not much out there. And so he was this local cult hero, you know, and I, I found him to be so, um, so aware of his rise. And, and when I say that, I mean, he was just beginning to get so much attention and he saw how BS it all was. He saw that people only wanted to be his friend because he had X many Instagram followers. He could immediately tell when somebody wanted money from him. He could immediately tell who was spreading rumors about where he was going to go to college. Uh, he was so self-aware. And again, that sort of mature beyond his years. What I actually enjoyed most was hanging out with him and his little sister. She was the cutest thing. And if you watched him rebound for her on the court, he was so locked in. He almost forgot we were doing an interview and he was just trying to get her to hoist the ball up and throw it at the basket. And, you know, she must have been like five or six or something then. And she was his biggest inspiration. And he just, I just loved seeing him in his natural environment with his sister. You saw a different element. It wasn't Jalen Green, the next superstar in coming. I think his coach compared him to Kobe. Uh, two other main superstars, I forgot what the quote was in the piece, but he compared him to like the holy trinity of like greatness. And Jalen was like, this is, this is crazy. I just, I love my mom. I love my dad and I love my little sis and I love hooping. And I thought, Wow. The other thing I remember is how insistent he was on wearing short shorts. He thought of himself as a trendsetter. He thought of himself as both new school 
and deeply old school. And the short shorts were the odd to where it was a nod to the old school days. So yeah, there was just a certain swag to him. Like, yeah, I set the trends. Yeah, I'm, I'm different. I'm a unicorn. But at the same time, he was like, you know what? All of this is very fleeting. I love this game. I love my family and I'm not going to get caught up in what people want out of me. Yeah, he's still doing the fashion thing. He was in Paris uh, in the offseason. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just unbelievable. But the one thing I will say about him, he's very, um, he is very worldly. I mean, I interviewed him for my Giannis book as well because I know he's part Filipino. And when I had interviewed him for this feature, he told me about what it meant to go to the Philippines and to have people chanting like, MVP or something for him, um, his mom's Filipino. And so later when I interviewed him for the book, I asked him, you know, did Giannis inspire you? Um, I want to learn more about your Philippine um, roots. And he was like, absolutely. You know, Giannis is the one who made me sort of want to think about that more. Um, so personally with Jalen, I wonder if he will um, tell us more about that side of his life and what that means to him. Um, because I, I do know that that's important to him. Yeah. And it just, I, I look at him sometimes and the way he puts himself together. And you said he's kind of a little old school. And for me, it's not old school, but for him, it's old school. He, he, right. he, he, he <laughs> His look reminds me a, a lot of, he makes me think of Michael Jackson when I watch yes, him. Yes. Yes. And, and just an old soul. And he's funny. He, um, He's just a nice guy. Like when I, I told him I was doing the book, he was like, oh, big time. Congrats. Like he's just a nice guy. You know, I, I'm somebody that met him in passing, right? Spent a couple of days back in the day before he like, you know, became whatever he has become. And he's the same nice guy. Uh, it's really refreshing uh, to see somebody um, manage expectations that are so high and also like retain that humility too. It's pretty cool. Does the nice guy, though, do you think that is going to hurt him maybe as a leader in the NBA? Because it, it feels like when you with the fans, when we watch him, we're a little worried because is he type A enough to be that superstar and say, give me the ball and get out. of? I, I can't have you guys wasting possessions or whatever. And that because a lot of people associate the type A as not being maybe a nice guy and, and not having the confidence that you need to take over NBA games? I mean, I think on the court is a different personality and he absolutely can and will morph into that. You know, it's kind of like in the same way with Giannis. I hate to, you know, I'm not making a comparison between Giannis and Jalen, but when I was writing the Giannis book, The Last Dance came out and I was so struck obviously by how cutthroat Jordan was. And I knew that, but it's it was interesting to kind of think about this theme. Like how does one become the best leader? How does one get the best out of teammates? Is it by screaming and yelling at them and being cutthroat like that? And I realized, you know, Giannis isn't like that. You could call him type A in terms of perfectionism and wanting to be great, but you don't have to like, be mean and scream and do all this stuff to get people's attention. And I, I wonder if Jalen is in that same vein of like, he absolutely has that killer in him, that killer instinct. And I will take over the game and I'm going to make you better. But I don't, I don't necessarily think you need to be the way Jordan was to be great. So in that regard of like leadership is that's the only part of that, that I'm saying. Um, so I don't know. We forget how young these guys are. That's something else. Um, 
think about where you were at their age and how long it took to mature. Um, I, I just think we need a little bit more patience and grace um, to see what these guys will turn into leadership wise. It's, it's not easy commanding the locker room at that age, especially when things are difficult, you know? You, you hope that as a Rockets fan that, you know, he can stay the nice guy, but also be, like you said, the killer on the court. Uh, let right. me ask you, because you've done all these Houston guys as, as stories. Is there anything that we should know about that you're working on as far as <laughs> Houston features? Are you are you talking to Altuve right now and working on a feature on him or uh, Jeremy Pena? Can we, can we interest you in a Jeremy Pena World Series MVP? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, as you know, I will be in Houston and I will be there for quite some time. And uh, I am very excited to share a Houston related thing. I can't say what it is now, but early in 2023, I look forward to coming back and talking with you about it. <laughs> Have you done anything recently that's uh, really grabbed you? Any of the features recently? You know what? I um, I did a, a feature on Scoot um, Henderson recently. I am sort of interested in all these alternative routes and um it was really cool to see what the g league one was about so i think I'll, I'll have a couple more features about sort of alternate routes but um that means scoot's gonna be here he's gonna wind up here <laughs> somebody told me that my friend in houston he's like listen um but uh i would say I was just thinking about the year's features. I, I know DeMar DeRozan's in the news right now, but I did a feature on him in February and it's really stuck with me because the thing that I took away from that piece is that, and this is his insight, mental health is not something that you overcome or get over or, you know, conquer. It's, it's a lifelong struggle and, and battle. And I just think he offered so many really awesome insights in that piece that, I still look at. So if anyone wants to go back and read that, it was from the ringer in February. He's, he's a really interesting person. And I can't recommend enough. I love the Jabari feature, the Bryce feature. I mean, it's, a, it's all really good stuff. And I thank you so much for taking some time in the holidays to talk to us and uh, just really appreciate it. Go, go look for her work on the ringer. I don't think I need to tell anybody about the ringer. I think everybody knows about that. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. And like I said, I'll be back in Houston. We're going to meet. We're going to do this again. <laughs> You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.